welcome to St James, a Scottish Episcopal Church in Leith, Edinburgh. This podcast features edited highlights from our Sunday service held on May 1st, 2022. To find out how to join us and for more general information, please go to www.stjamesleith.org.uk. Good morning everyone, a very warm welcome to all of you here and all of you at home. Uh, My name's Sally and I'm really delighted to be here. This is the season where Jesus is showing us and telling us how he needs us to be, to do the work he has in mind for us to do, work that was difficult 2,000 years ago and is difficult now. Ian will tell us about shame, that horrible, horrible, toxic energy which has such a negative effect on our relationships. And we'll hear about how Peter was released from that in order to live out his gifts and build community. So we will begin in the usual way with our singing bowl and candle and I invite you to reflect on what you're bringing today um, in this time of silence. Thank you. 
Please be seated. Trusting in God's forgiveness, let us in silence confess our failings and acknowledge our part in the pain of the world. Come home to yourself and to each other. May all that is unfree in you be, be released. And may you blossom to a future graced with love. Amen. is taken from Acts chapter 9, verses 1 to 6. Meanwhile, Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any who belonged to the way, man or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he was going along and approaching Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He asked, who are you, Lord? The reply came, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, but get up and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. This is the word of the Lord. gospel reading this morning is from John 21, verses 1 to 19. Glory, Glory to Christ, Christ our Savior. Savior. 
After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he showed himself in this way. Gathered there together were Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we'll go with you. That night they caught nothing. Just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, have you no fish? Have you? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net to the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because there were so many fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on some clothes for he was naked and jumped into the sea. But the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, only about a hundred yards off. When they had gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. And though there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. A second time, he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter felt hurt because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Very truly I tell you, when you were younger, you used to fasten your own belt and to go wherever you wished but when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will fasten a belt around you and take you where you do not wish to go. He said this to indicate the kind of death by which he would glorify God. After this, he said to him, follow me. This is the gospel, good news for all. Praise to you, O Christ. Come, risen Jesus, open our hearts and our minds to understanding the depth and breadth of your 
restorative, healing, redeeming power in our lives and in the lives of our community. Amen. Thank you. A long, long reading, that gospel, but I think one of the most beautiful passages uh, in the Bible. And our two readings today, I think, show the redemptive power of God. Firstly, we have Saul, the most unlikely of converts, who encounters the risen Christ and is transformed from persecutor to dedicated follower. And then we have Peter, who has publicly denied Christ and is also, through this encounter with the risen Christ, transformed by the redemptive, restorative power of Jesus' death and resurrection. So this redemption, which is really a re religious word for restoring, for making whole, for healing, is often associated in our minds um, and also our services and liturgy with guilt and uh, forgiveness of sins. And in some ways, rightly so. Uh, that in other words, those things that we failed uh, to do or maybe not do. However, our gospel uh, this morning, I think, shows us how Jesus' death and resurrection goes deeper than this and deals with Peter's shame. And I, I want to, us to think about Peter really as a prototype of us all. I think that the reason we have so much detail in the Gospels about Peter is he's kind of an example of, of how we might be with all our um, strengths and weaknesses. So I just, uh, even though guilt and shame are very closely related, I want to very briefly look at the difference. Guilt is a feeling you get when you've done something wrong or perceived you've done something wrong. I think sometimes we can suffer from false guilt. And it's often a privately held emotion unless we undergo, maybe uh, go to confession or we confess to somebody else. Whereas shame goes much deeper and it is a feeling that our whole self, it, there's something uh, wrong. There's something wrong with ourselves. It's a fear that we're not somehow good enough. And shame often accompanies a failure to reach our own expectation, but also the expectation of others, of our family, of our culture, of our society that we live in. So we consequently bury and hide it for fear of being exposed, ridiculed, and excluded. And shame is often unwarranted. Uh, for example, an abused person will feel deep shame through no fault of their own. But shame is a powerful, I would say, master emotion, and carrying it is profoundly destructive to ourselves and others. And uh, research shows that it's highly correlated with addiction and violence, aggression, depression, eating disorders, bullying, narcissistic, judgmental behavior, low self-esteem, and so on, and so on. And Peter is, of course, carrying guilt of denying his friend and teacher, but on a much, much deeper level, he's carrying the shame of failing to live up to his own expectations and the humiliation 
that his public persona as a tough, loyal, and outspoken follower of Jesus is really in tatters. But our story shows that the cross and resurrection has the power to heal shame, however deep-seated it might be. Firstly, Jesus suffered public humiliation and shame on the cross. And although we tend to emphasize the physical pain of the cross, crucifixion was dreaded first and foremost because it was designed to induce shame, contempt, and public ridicule. The victim died naked, in bloody sweat, helpless to control bodily excretions. It epitomizes human defilement and exclusion, which is why by Roman law, no Roman could be disgraced by such a dishonorable uh, way of death. So in other words, Jesus having gone through that understands what it feels like to feel shame and constantly has empathy for Peter. And empathy from another human being is a powerful antidote to shame. So I would say rather than thinking that the cross is about an angry God driven by a moral compulsion to remain holy and untouched by our sin, therefore putting uh, our sin onto Jesus, it's more appropriate to think of an anguished God who is willing to endure heart-wrenching pain to overcome both the shamefulness of our evil and also exposing the suffering uh, of those who suffer from false shame, in other words, victims of others' shameful behavior. Jesus' undeserved shame says to those who have experienced shame at the hands of others that they should not be ashamed. In fact, it is those who do the shaming that in the story of the, the cross that should feel the shame. It is God's anguish of love that never gives up and expresses itself through solidarity with us through Jesus and through his shameful death on the cross. So the cross is the revelation of God's love, not of assuaging God's anger. And it's a good thing because shame does not respond to punishment. Only love banishes shame. And here in our gospel reading, we also have a resurrected Jesus understanding the depth of Jesus' shame and literally loving him back to life, restoring him, making him the person that he was always, the potential that he was always created to be. And the story is both earthy, describing everyday things, but it's also filled with symbolism and resonances with other passages uh, of scripture. So it starts by the Sea of Galilee, where ordinary life goes on, takes us back to Jesus' early ministry, with men gathering together to go fishing during the night, and after grafting hard all that night, they return with an empty net, a symbol of how they feel. And as they come into land, they see Jesus standing by the shore, but don't recognize him. And I think it's significant that in all the post-resurrection stories, Jesus is not instantly recognized until he does something, he breaks bread, or until he says something. Because in one sense, he now is universal and abides in us all, is hidden 
in humanity. We are, as the disciples were, asked to look for the hidden Christ in one another. So Jesus simply asks, have you caught any fish? And they reply, no. So he tells these experienced fishermen to cast their net on the right side of the boat. And they catch so many fish that they have difficulty hauling in the net. In fact, we're told they catch 153 fish, which is the same number of nations on earth according to the Jewish belief of the time. In other words, God's redemption, restoration, healing is wide enough to catch everybody, every nation. So wonderfully inclusive in a world where religions constantly try and draw lines of who is in and who is out. Jesus on the cross and in his resurrection can hold people from all nations and the net will not be torn. So then John recognizes Jesus and says to Peter, it's our Lord. And Peter ironically puts on clothes and jumps in the sea. We normally take clothes off when we jump in the sea. I think there is an element of humor there. But perhaps Peter's nakedness is again symbolic of his shame and he instinctively is wanting to cover up before meeting Jesus. As Peter reaches the shore, we have this ordinary scene of a charcoal fire burning with fish and bread, resonant of the feeding of the 5,000, but also resident, a resonant of the only other place a charcoal fire is mentioned in the gospel. Can anyone remember? Put you on the... Sorry? Yeah, at where Peter, in the Garden of Gethsemane, where Peter denies uh, Jesus. And I don't know if, about you, but smell completely takes me back to a place. I just need to smell fresh grass being mowed, and I'm taken back to school playing cricket. I mean, it's just, it literally takes me back to that place. So Jesus is taking Peter back to, in some ways, the scene of his denial. He's not allowing Peter to hide or bury his shame. Instead, he gently takes him back to his public, place of public humiliation, where his public persona was expo uh, exposed, and people witnessed the vulnerable, frightened, weak Peter. But he also doesn't wade in. He doesn't accuse Peter or even ask him, why, why did you deny him? seems to be a natural question that we might all ask. Instead, there is a profound sensitivity about how he goes about helping Peter in his shame as he breaks bread and eats fish with the disciples first, shares food and friendship. Again, a story resonating with the Last Supper. And then we have this incredibly intimate and public encounter displaying a beautiful symmetry where Jesus asked Peter three times, do you love me? Allowing a soothing balm to heal each of Peter's three denials. So the first time Jesus says, do you love me? And Peter replies, yes. And Jesus says, go ahead and feed my lambs. Feed my little ones, those who need protection. In other words, Peter, you're okay. You're okay. You, you are worthy enough to carry on with my work. Second time, he says, do you love me? And Peter again replies, yes, I do. And Jesus says, take care of my sheep. 
Look after the adults too. Re again, resonating with the whole good uh, shepherd theme. And then the third time he repeats the question, do you love me? And Peter becomes distressed and answers, you know everything, you know I love you. And Jesus says, feed my, my sheep. So here Jesus' healing and restoration of Peter is complete. His shame is brought out into the open and he's effectively loved back to life with his self-worth restored as Jesus entrusts him with the ta task of feeding his sheep. Peter now knows that he is loved at the deepest part of his being. And this is the foundation of Peter's ministry from now on. I know many of you know Brenny Brown, an American research professor, who says, if we are going to find our way out of shame and back to each other, vulnerability is the path and courage is the light. To love ourselves and support each other in the process of becoming real is perhaps the greatest single act of daring greatly. And she goes on to say, if we can share our story with someone who responds with empathy and understanding, like Jesus did to Peter, shame cannot survive. For shame hates secrecy. Yet, she says, our stories are not meant for everyone. Hearing them is a privilege, and we should always ask ourselves, who has earned the right to hear my story? But if we have one or two people in our lives who can sit with us and hold space for our shame stories and love us for our strengths and struggles, shame cannot survive. And if we have a friend or a group of friends or a family or a community who embrace our imperfections, our vulnerabilities and power and fill us with a sense of belonging, we are incredibly fortunate. And I think this is perhaps the greatest gift we can offer one another, the space to allow another to be seen and accepted as they really are. This is the heart of our spiritual integrity as a community and will have a huge impact on the quality of our Christian witness and mission. It certainly impacted on the quality of Peter's witness and mission because after this, we know of uh, some of the amazing things that he was able to do. And Jesus knew it. So much that Jesus can say the challenging words. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you used to fasten your own belt and go wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will fasten a belt around you and take you where you do not wish to go. And I think we're coming into Richard Raw territory, another writer that I know many of you know, Catholic priest, who talks about two parts of life in his book, Falling Upwards. And in it, he describes the first part of our lives where we are in the driving seat, creating our careers, reputation, education, in a sense, building our egos, and not necessarily a bad thing, because it gives us drive and energy and a sense of identity. But Raw suggests that spiritual maturity and growth can grow further in the second part of life when we, a shift potentially happens and we realize that life is not all about us. And we have less need to protect what we have, to hold on to power, to add and build. These become less important and we potentially give our lives to something bigger. 
And this is what Peter will now uh, do from now on. We begin the way of letting go and allowing ourselves to be led. And then finally, Jesus says to Peter, follow me. And it's a phrase he says 17 times in the gospel. And it's interesting that he not once, I, well, that I can remember, does he say, worship me. And considering all the fights and divisions over liturgy and how we do worship, which has led to so many uh, church uh, schisms, Jesus really is saying, do life like I do. Trust God the way I trust God. Forgive as I forgive. Serve as I serve. Love as I love. Love yourself enough to allow yourself to be seen. And love others so that they trust you enough to allow themselves to be seen. Hold them in your love so shame can no longer have any power. And one of uh, the prayers of mine is that we here become a community that overturns that well-worn phrase, shame on you, to one of no shame on you. Amen. Let us pray. <clears throat> We've been reminded by Ian of how Jesus responded to Peter's shame and how he responds to ours. And as we come to pray now, let's remember that no one is beyond the redemptive, restorative power of God. That Jesus' love and empathy is offered to and available to all. So as we begin, I invite you now to pray for someone or a group of people who you might have read about or heard about in the news, whose actions seem so shameful to you that they seem beyond redemption. I invite you to bring them and their shame before God and to pray for their redeeming. Lord, in your redeeming mercy, hear our prayer. <clears throat> I invite you now to pray for anyone you know personally whose life is marked by shame. I invite you to lift them before God and to seek God's restoration and redemption for them. Lord, in your redeeming mercy, hear our prayer. And now can I invite you to come yourselves before God, <clears throat> acknowledging in the quiet any shame you're aware that you're carrying. And you can ask God to make you aware of any shame you don't know you're carrying. Know that just as Jesus offered Peter love and empathy in abundance, so he offers love and empathy beyond your wildest imaginings to you.
Jesus, we allow you in to redeem, restore, and heal us, even those parts of our lives we are ashamed of, to help us to become the people you mean us to be. May we say with the psalmist, I cried to you for help and you have healed me. You restored me to life from among those gone down to the pit. Lord, in your redeeming mercy, hear our prayer. And now we pray that you would help us to share this redeeming, restorative love you offer us with others, with the people whom we will meet and interact with as we go about our lives over the coming week, to build your community here on earth. Lord, in your redeeming mercy, hear our prayer.
Praise and thanksgiving be to you, God of all. For by the cross eternal life is ours, and death is swallowed up in victory. In the first light of Easter, glory broke from the tomb and changed the women's sorrow into joy. And from the garden, the mystery dawned that he whom they had loved and lost is with us now in every place forever. Making himself known in the breaking of the bread, speaking peace to the fearful disciples, welcoming weary fishermen on the shore, he renewed the promise of his presence and of new birth in the Spirit. And at supper with his disciples, he took bread and offered you thanks. He broke the bread and gave it to them, saying, Take, eat, this is my body broken for you. And after supper, he took the cup of wine, he offered you thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant. It is poured out for you and for all, that sins may be forgiven. Do this in remembrance of me.